is a good software developer? What do excellent developers do? There are probably as many answers to these questions as developers in the world. So let's ask veterans and newcomers what their story look like. Let's learn directly from them. Welcome to Developer's Journey. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Developer's Journey, the podcast shining a light on developers' life from all over the world, uh, literally today. My name is Tim Bourguignon, and today I receive Arnaud Pottery. Arno is a VP of Engineering at Vent Privé. It's hard to switch from French to English, gosh. Um, previously, he managed the open source group at Docker. I'm sure we're going to speak about that, which kind of radically changed his views on managing software development at scale. Arno, well, uh, thanks for joining. Hi, Tim. Thanks. Um, you're in Portugal right now, right? I'm in Portugal right now, yeah. yes, for so uh, for a, a mix of work and holidays. That's cool. That's cool. So it's really international, all from all over the world. So French guy working uh, working remote from Portugal. Cool, cool, cool. Um, you and I met in Paris in March for the Encraft uh, conference, where you held a talk um, that was called something like "Teaching the Lessons from Open Source," and was basically bringing the lessons of open source into not really open source companies. Um, it was very interesting exactly. and I hope we're going to hear more about that today. Um, but first things first, um, tell us your story. How did you end up at Docker working on the uh, open source world or this open source group at Docker? That must be a story there, right? Uh, sure, yeah. So, um, so where to start? So uh, before joining Docker, I was working in France uh, in a big bank. So not exactly the, the sexiest job in the world, but uh, um, something where I actually learned a lot about software engineering and about uh, management too, because th this is where I started uh, my role as an engineering manager. I was lucky enough uh, that I was in school with the founder of Docker, uh, who was hiring at the end of 2014 when the company was really starting to take off and when the project was really starting to have a huge adoption in the, in the open source ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So uh, he contacted me because he was looking for uh, engineering managers for the company. Uh, back then, the company was 30, 30 people, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and to be fully transparent, my first answer was, well, thanks, but uh, no thanks. I have no intention of relocating to San Francisco. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't, I don't understand much about Docker because back, back then when I started looking at Docker, it was very unclear what exactly it was solving, whether it was a developer tool, an ops tool. I wasn't sure. So I told him, you know, like, I, give me some time. But honestly, I, I don't think this is going to be of interest for me. Mm -hmm. And I started playing around with the, with the project, starting my, doing my first contributions, playing around with it. And, uh, and it clicked. Uh, it clicked at some point that I realized how much of this was going to have an impact. Uh, um, I think what made a difference for me is understanding that it was not an ops tool or a dev tool. It was a bit of both. Um, and that was something that was badly needed at the time. So I ended up accepting the offer, relocating to San Francisco, uh, and I worked there for three years. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, may I ask, how, how, how did you end up uh, knowing this founder in the first place? Uh, we were at school together. So ah. that's, that's pure luck. Uh, there's no... There's no here it's pure luck. Uh, it happens that uh, there was a lot of French people in, uh, in Docker at that time. 
uh, the founder comes from a school uh, called Epitech in Paris, which uh, where I studied too. Um, and I think originally, on, well, when I joined Docker on the 30 employees, there were probably 10 or, or 15 French people. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was it was really uh, it was a huge French presence back then in the company. Okay, okay. Um, but at that point, you were not in open source or active in open source, or were you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was I was an engineering manager in a bank, mm -hmm. uh, Société Générale, for those who know in France. Mm -hmm. um, so no, no, very, very, very different. The the, the thing is that uh, I was at the beginning of my experience as an engineering manager and I was starting to realize that although I was having a lot of fun as a software engineer in this industry because there's a lot of there's a lot of good technical challenges in banking um, there's uh, there's of course huge um, how can I say this there's there's a huge focus on performance and stability in, in finance that you don't find everywhere else and that I, that I think make up for really interesting challenges the problem is culturally it's companies that are quite old school, very top down, uh, very much about hierarchy. And when I started going into engineering management, I realized how unfit I was for this environment. So I wanted, I knew I wanted to continue in the engineering management path, but it was very clear that this kind of companies was not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and that this is a point where I started looking around for uh, for something which was possibly closer to tech. Uh, looking at Paris and Europe at first, uh, when ultimately Solomon called uh, to offer me a position at Docker. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how did you realize you were kind of pulled into this management role? Um, I don't really know, to be honest. It it it, it happened quite naturally. Um, I think I've I've always been passionate about software engineering and uh, and it's really what I love the most at heart. But at some point, uh, I kind of realized that um, I was maybe not the best developer in the world. I'm definitely not the best manager in the world, but I could have an impact for developers by by moving to management. Uh, basically, I had the feeling that uh, I was maybe better than average at this, and I could create a, an engineering culture that I would enjoy working at. Uh, that is the point where I figured that although I loved, uh, I loved coding more than anything else, uh, it was made better, maybe more useful for others, for me to, to go into this kind of positions where I could create an environment where coders would be happy to evolve. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I think I've lived through this kind of the same story. Um, but I fought against yep. it for a very long time. I was very unhappy with uh, giving in and, and doing this. So I, I kind of quit my job and went back to an engineering role and then quit again and went back to an engineering role. And each time landing on some kind of uh, first step of management and saying, no, 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 it's not for me. And it's only recently well, that, I, that I accepted that. At, at, at first, I find I found a balance in that uh, I had good feedback from the team about about managing teams. Um, people were appreciating having somebody in this role that understood engineering and understood what it's like to be a software engineer. Um, and I found a balance at first by dedicating my time, coding time, strictly to things that were helping the teams in some way. So um, one thing that I that I 
tried to forbid myself is to contribute to the product itself as much as I could because you don't want to be a bottleneck on these kind of things when you're the engineering manager. But but trying to you know like trying to satisfy your uh, your desire to code and to contribute nevertheless through tooling, through infrastructure things, through uh, um, basically all the uh, all the setup that could help the teams. If if you go through with this and if it doesn't work out, it's it's all right. Nobody's going to lose and nobody's going to wait on you. Mm-hmm. So that's why, for example, at Docker, I spent a lot of my time uh, working on tooling for um, uh, like open source dashboards, like metrics, trying to trying to track our activity, understanding our uh, our activity, and this kind of stuff that would give transparency to the team and to also the broader community, uh, without necessarily you know like being a bottleneck on on the product development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it's possible, but is there is there some kind of of um, standard day as a manager? What 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 would it be like to be manager at, at Docker? Uh, well, being in a, being an open source project and being the manager of an open source facing team was extremely specific because um, ultimately the the team at Docker was was quite small and there were if you think about it there were way much more engineers outside the company than inside the company contributing on the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're talking about a ten or twenty ratio, I guess. Uh, at some point, there were probably like 20 people on a team while we had 150 pull requests every month. So uh, that, that, that gives you a sense of scale. Um, so no, there, there's no, there's no typical day. Although uh, what's interesting in a company like Docker, which is basically uh, in between open source community and, and, and commercial products, is that you have to juggle per- permanently uh, with both. So um, a lot of my job was trying to figure out how to find a proper balance where you would have a healthy open source community and a healthy open source project where people could be involved and where people from the outside understood that the, that the leadership and the, and the authority of the project was fair. And at the same time, delivering for Docker, the company, what mattered to ship the commercial products and to make a difference in the market. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a lot of it was about this. I think for me, the, the major peak of success was the point where we reached the same number of maintainers from Docker employees and outside employees. At some point in the project, it, uh, there were probably about around 40 maintainers, 20 being Docker employees and 20 being employed by Microsoft, Red Hat, IBM, independent people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. Um, and you said you said before um creating some kind of environment in which um engineers can can flourish or would like would like to work uh into um what what does it mean for you what what does uh, what idea do you have behind this there's so many things behind this i i it's complicated to really to really list out but i think it's I think if if you worked as a software engineer, I think you you do know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's it's avoiding things like top down decisions about architectures would be this or that way. It's about um, it's about also using the hearing everybody's voice and and considering organizational aspects, not like a sacred thing that you cannot touch, but as basically as code. Uh, for me, organization is just like anything else. Uh, it's it's good for some time. It needs it needs feedback and it needs to evolve. Um, pretty much like like code, which is why I also uh, really like storing everything, including the organization, into Git, because mm-hmm. I think that it's important for everybody to be able to give an, an opinion and to just trace changes over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think 
and and this is why I particularly enjoy Docker, and this is why it informs so much how I do my job today. It's I think the same thing that engineers like in a, in a corporate environment are really what we found in the open source communities. It's a lot about giving everyone a voice, making sure that all opinions are heard, even though it's not necessarily consensus based because there is a clear decision making process. Uh, but it it it's really um, it's really about finding what's right for the group and finding what's right for everyone rather than putting uh, individual objectives before anything else or corporate politics or whatever in the mix mm -hmm. and there I can understand where the uh, the um, your past at the at this bank at the Société Générale uh, must have come in handy of not reproducing this um, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've worked for and, and there's a lot of good thing. There's a lot of good things in this kind of environments too, because you know, like, I, um, I don't want to spit on on, on banking because it, it's um, it's a very particular environment in that it's extremely top down and ext extremely made up to avoid any risk and any surprise. I mean, the role of a bank is to minimize risk in the first place. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, it's not super surprising that the, the IT world in banking works this way. But the truth is. Um, the unexpected and the risk is not something that is necessarily bad, especially in tech, especially in a time where most companies are looking for the magic ways to uh, to innovate. But the truth is the magic way to innovate is just to, to give engineers some time to work on things and to, to get out of their way. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. <laughs> but it's easier to say than done. <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's I mean, it's like everything that deals with culture. It's extremely hard to to get right, and it's extremely extremely hard to get the 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 support from the leadership. But but that's what it is about. Mm -hmm. Indeed. What I find really interesting in the, the the last five minutes is that you describe the role of a manager, but being very uh, technical about it. Being very, um, you even said you were coding yourself. Um, you were handling things as if it was code. Um, this is a very um, different kind of description than I would ex uh, expect when someone would be uh, describing a manager role. Um, is it is this something you've you've um, seen um, done done more than one time, or is it, is it the particular to you? Is it? No, I think it's uh, well. Well, the coding thing, it happened when I was at Docker because my team was not so big than it is now. Uh, I don't have the luxury today to code. Uh, but the thing about managing organization like code, the things like um, the things like taking inspiration from the way that open source works to manage essentially a team like you would manage a community. Um, I think this is not very different from what you expect from a manager because the truth is it's about setting up the culture of your team. So, of course, there's all the things you'd expect traditionally from a manager about Connecting one-on-ones, giving feedback, uh, giving a vision, giving a giving a, um, a direction to the team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, this is part of my role today. But I tend to think that uh, I'm, I'm not going to say they come second, but I think I, I tend to put culture above everything else. Um, maybe maybe I'm wrong on this, but I and maybe it's naive. But I tend to think that with the right people and the right culture, the right thing will happen. Uh, it's it's. You don't have to be so directive about about what you want. Sometimes the best way to get what you want is not to ask for it. <laughs> An interesting way to uh, to go at it. Um, have you met um, a situation where this didn't work? Um, so far, I wouldn't say so. Um, but it's also hard. Uh, from my perspective, it's also hard to say how 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 much this is working. You, you'd better ask my team to see if it's working. Um, 
right now in my in, in my role at, at uh, as, as a VPF engineering at Van Privé, I can see that this thing is, is catching up. I can see that the culture change is happening. I can see that there's good feedback from the engineers. Um, whether we ship as much as we would like to, uh, not at this point, but this is the thing that takes time. It's a lot of things and it'll, it's a lot of education to make, not only for us, but also for the people around. So it takes time. Mm -hmm. um, Let, let's go, let's go up to uh, to Von Privé. Um, wh why did you leave Docker? Mm -hmm. Docker seems to be in uh, every mouth now nowadays. Yeah. Um, wh why why was it the right time for you to leave that? Um, well, I guess three years uh, in this kind of environment is already a lot to take. To be honest, <laughs> it was. Uh, You know, when, when, when there's a project that is rocketing like it was, and, uh, and as you say, in every mouth and everybody's using it, et cetera, you are, we used to call this when we were at Docker being at the, in the eye of the tornado. Mm. Uh, and it's extremely exhausting. Like there's so much things happening in a single day. Uh, uh, there, there were some times at Docker where I could remember like five times a day thinking, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make it, we're gonna die, we're gonna make it, we're gonna die. It was, it's just in, impossible to describe, but it was extremely intense. So, uh, so I think three years was already a lot to take. Um, and then there was also, a, it's, it's a company which was changing a lot. I mean, I joined it when it when we were 30, I left it when we were 300. It was a different company, and uh, and the focus was uh, was changing from innovation and and building the product to monetizing and to going enterprise, which is something that I was um, not necessarily not interested about. But uh, it's just not the reason that I joined Docker initially, and I I think it was the right time to go check some something else. Um, I also joined Docker uh, from the the bottom of the ladder. I joined as a as a software engineer um, before making it to engineering manager. Uh, and I wanted to try out something different. I wanted to see, experiment what it would be like to have a, a, a significant size team and see if uh, the recipes that I had in mind about creating culture and, and organizing work for an engineering group could work uh, on, on a team that scale. Because right now, I, my team is a little more than 200 people. So it's something extremely different from what I've known at Docker. It's closed source. It's not open source. So it's for me, it's a it's a huge opportunity to be able to 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 you know like to play around with the things that I have in mind and see if it actually works in practice. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can relate to that. <laughs> I can relate to that. The the project I'm working on right now started like this. Uh, it was a, a project I had yeah actually seen before in my mind, but never in this in this uh, geometry. Saying, well, I would have never done this this way. So let's go there and see why they did it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, now I know um, I wouldn't still do it this way anyway, but uh, it was interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there, there's no, there's no bad experience anyway. So no, 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 no. It's it's all that you made. Um, uh, what you make of it? If you manage to yeah. uh, to to put some coins on the side every day and uh, and still find some things to learn, then then it's never time uh, time lost. Um, exactly. One thing that may be interesting is now that you've switched to a very managerial uh, role, not just a small team, but but more a, a bigger department or, or a whole division. I'm not sure how you call that at Van Privé. Um, are you are you involved in in hiring uh, process? I suppose you are, right? Uh, I gotta say that at this point, hiring is maybe one of the biggest part of my role. Um, mostly because uh, mostly because uh, Van Privé is is 
entirely transforming its information system and putting back tech at the center. So from the day I joined, there was about 200 open positions. Uh, so that's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I spend a lot of time uh, uh, on hiring, um, on communication about what we're doing, on, uh, on, on in interviews, of course. So yes, it, it, is, it is a lot of my work. So how did that go? Uh, it's going well because the truth is that there's not so many uh, tech companies in France who are extremely attractive to engineers. So I tend, I have the impression that people in France see when something is happening somewhere and all turn at the same company at a given time. Uh, you know, when I was when I was leaving Société Générale and I was starting to look around, uh, back then the company that everybody was looking at in tech in, in Paris was Criteo. Uh, and I ended up in, interviewing to Criteo like everybody else would. Uh, and uh, and I think right now there, people know that there's things happening in Vente Privé. It's a huge challenge because we come out from a lot of legacy and we are, we're really trying to reinvent everything and, and entirely changing the culture and changing our approach to tech. Uh, and we need we need people for that. Um, there's there's a lot, lot to do. And so far, it's it's working great. I mean, uh, I don't have the number in the numbers in mind, but we probably hired a hundred last year, uh, and and we're still uh, we're still growing strong. We open outside of Paris because, of course, you cannot grow this fast if you only look at Paris. And and to be honest, it doesn't make sense at this point to only look at Paris. So we opened up offices in uh, in other places in France, such as Nantes, uh, such as Lyon. Uh, we opened an office in Warsaw, and we are also uh, more and more open to remote work which is something that was very different from the initial culture of the company. And it's interesting to see how this is working out. Mm -hmm. So, Okay. Um, how, how do you, do you screen for culture? Can, can you do that? No, it's extremely hard. Uh, it's honestly at this point, um, I would say that it's, it's, it's not a good thing to say, but honestly, as an interviewer, I don't think that I'm using much more than gut feeling. Uh, it's a lot about, uh, the, the question I ask are a lot about what is, what are the times that you really enjoyed the most in your past experiences? What are the times that you really, that were not good? And you can tell from those questions usually when the, when it's really about the people, when it's really about the tech, when it's really about, you know, like what are, what are the things that are in the, the values that are important to the candidate? From there, usually, uh, you, you, you can tell a bit, but there, there's no, there's no good answer. Um, the one thing that I, that I really appreciate and I, and I, honestly, I cannot explain it. I think it, there's a lot of magic to it and a lot of alchemy that you cannot really put words on. Um, Vente Privé, when I joined it, it really struck me as a company where people were extremely welcoming and extremely open to, to any kind of discussions. I, I rarely seen that in my, in my, in my past experiences. And it's really impressive how much, uh, the new joiners really get into this kind of mood very fast. Um, it's, it's not really written on the walls. It's not something that we, you know, like we, we dictate or anything else, but there's, uh, there's definitely a culture, a DNA that was there from the beginning and that, uh, that the, the, the people who have been with the company for a while have managed to, to maintain despite the fact that we are hiring a lot of newcomers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would, I would, uh, I would, uh... If I was in a company like this, I would fear that the uh, that the culture was would, would kind of uh, dilute in the uh, of in the newcomers mass coming in. That's a, that's an interesting. Yeah, I, I I think we've been we've been lucky that uh, you know that when I joined the company, there were fifty percent of the IT team that 
was with the company for more than five years. So a lot of people have really joined uh, Vendrive a while back and have stuck with the company, uh, which which is really good because they know that they know everything about uh, about this company. They they build it, mm-hmm. um, and although we are hiring a lot, it's true that we haven't diluted the culture that much. I, I'm not going to say it goes without challenges. There's of course uh, places where it's not as easy and some some tensions, of course. Uh, but overall, there's something that we managed to maintain. I honestly, I I, I cannot explain how this is working. Uh, it's definitely some, some not something that I'm that I can take for granted. Uh, it's it's just happening. <laughs> well, there's some stuff like that. We don't know where exactly where they're coming from. Um, yeah. You see, you said interesting. So you're you're searching for for openness to discussion. You're searching for passion, for values, and for some kind of alchemy. Um, how can listeners, um, get there? I mean, um, some of them are just coming out of university or coming out of their studies or whichever that is. Some of them are in the industry already. And, um, how, how do you get to, to such a, a place or state of mind where you, um, you get this kind of, uh, of, of culture, um, it's a very metaphysical uh, question that I'm asking. I know. Yeah, uh, it's hard to say. I think uh, I think for for people who are mostly junior, like going out of school or in their first job, um, I think it probably takes time to know in which kind of environment you want to evolve. Uh, it's I, I see a lot of uh, I see a lot of people freshly out of school who maybe uh, go too fast in trying to aim for this or that company without knowing yet what is it they're looking for um there, there's not all cultures will work for whatever with anybody and that's fine uh where everybody's different um it's important that you also understand what you what works for you um for people who are already in the industry i think a lot of it uh i think you can tell a lot of it also when interviewing yourself like asking questions to the interviewer about about the culture of the company especially about uh, um how much, what is the decision-making process? Is it happening from the top down? Is it happening from the bottom up? Um, is anything, is there any way to ask open questions on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to anyone in the company? Uh, you know, like um, US, US-based companies are very well known for having this kind of all-hands meeting on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis where anybody can ask a question to anyone. You can you can basically ask a question to the CEO mm-hmm. uh, and, and live. Uh, that's something that is very unusual in European companies, uh, which I think are more old school about the hierarchy and the fact that you don't get to talk to the top level management so often. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the kind of things that are really crucial to ask for when you are interviewing. Again, if this is something that you're looking, that you're especially looking for, uh, it, it, it doesn't have to be the one answer for the single answer for everything. There's no one size fits all anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, sure. Um, one thing I would like to to come back to is um, in on the on the on the open source. We we spoke a lot about the open source from your management point of view. So, uh, building a company like an open source project, mm-hmm. an open source community. Um, but I, I would be interested in the other side of things. Um, the open source mindset that you know, the mindsets you need to have to be able to participate in open source as a, as a, as an engineer. Um, how, how do you, see, how do you see that in, in maybe in, uh, in, not in comparison, but in parallel to, uh, to, um, the culture we just talked about, uh, talked about? 
Well, de definitely, it's uh, it's all about collaboration. It's all about people. It's the most important thing in open source. And um, it's anybody can contribute to open source. You don't have to be an extrovert, an introvert, or anything else. You don't have to. There's no particular threats that will work for you in open source. The one important thing is being able to collaborate. Um, that comes with a lot of different things. It's about the it's a well the most daunting thing for most people who start up who, who start contributing to open source is actually showing their work in the open and being open to criticism uh, this is extremely hard for anyone at first uh, but it also comes from it also comes with the idea that you can trust the other the other people that you have to trust that there are uh, uh, well intended they're not going to criticize for free they're going to they're going to actually try to give you something with feedback and try to improve the, the the product altogether so this is this is the approach that uh that i think is most important and that sometimes can be very different from what you see from traditional enterprise where it's a lot of us versus them it's a lot of uh you know like team boundaries and and almost tribes uh rather than having something more open where everyone's work is uh is open to see for all the others open to discussion, open to criticism also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, have, have you read the book uh, Remote from DHH and, uh, and Jason Fried, uh, the, the creators of uh, no. Basecamp? They, they, their, their company is completely fully remote all over the world. And they wrote a book um, about their, their remoteness and why they advocate for remoteness. And one of the comments uh, struck me really hard back then was um, that um, um, a good remote worker is a, is a very good worker, but the opposite is not necessarily true. And I wonder if this applies as well in this case that aiming for, for, um, the OSS, uh, the open source software uh, mindset, you know, that people are going to be able to communicate, are going to have the, um, the accent on, on this collaboration you talked about on, on people and mm -hmm. working together. Um, but the opposite is not necessarily true. So you can still find people that are excellent workers and are still not participating in open source, but somebody who is striving in open source um, is very, very likely to be this mindset that, which, that you are searching for. Probably, I, I, I think the analogy with open, I think there's something interesting with both open source and remote work in that um, the things that make it to work are beneficial for everyone else. Um, you know, like the, the, having remote people on the team, um, I, everybody knows that, but it's, it's, you have, you have to change your way of working such, such that, uh, decisions are documented, such as communication happens asynchronously as much as possible, et cetera, et cetera. And this is all good things. So basically, um, it's about focusing on the outcome that the remote people are well integrated, that there's a lot of thing, good things that come with it. I think the same is true with open source. Uh, when, you, when you're focusing on, on open communication and open work and the ability to have cross-team communication, et cetera, a lot of good things go with it. One example I can give you is um, I've seen in the past uh, companies struggling to get best practices of development into the, the culture of the teams. Things like testing, documentations, um, API docs, whatever, whatever, this, this kind of things. But when you look at it, when you start breaking down the wall between teams and when you start adapting an open source culture, 
You end up in a situation where the teams contribute to each other, and, it, and it's becoming extremely hard on those teams if they don't have documentation on tests, and I mean on the teams themselves. You don't want somebody contributing to your code if you don't have tests. You don't even know if this code works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, to, you have to, to, to switch away from trusting your neighbors to trusting anyone because your code is good and because your project is, in a, is, is healthy. Uh, and I think, again, it's about focusing on the outcome of um, putting, putting in place this kind of culture. That, that there's a lot of good things that come with it. And the same is true with remote work. I see, I see. That's a nice way. Nice way to put it. Nice way to put it. Um, we are slowly reaching the, the end of the tie box. Um, there's mm-hmm. one question I usually ask is, um, what advice would you give to listeners to, uh, to, uh, advance on their journey? If you had one advice to, to, to spare. Uh, my, my biggest advice, I think for every, anyone in tech at this point would be, uh, to take a chance. Um, there's, we are in the extremely, extremely, extremely lucky position that uh, our industry is thriving. There's a lot of opportunities. Uh, there's good companies. There's less good companies. There's cultures that would fit you. There's cultures that will not be adapted for you. Um, it's okay to try things out. Uh, most of us don't have a lot to lose. Uh, there's always other opportunities and always ways to 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 rebound. So uh, honestly, at this point, I would say really to Take take a chance. Amen to that. Amen. Cool, cool advice. Thank you. Um, do you have something coming up, something uh, on your plate in the next uh, months that you would like to uh, to uh, to mark uh, to uh, advertise? Uh, not really. I mean, I don't, I don't have as much public work as I would like to, uh, unfortunately I'm really busy with my job and I, and I want this to succeed before anything else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't really give a lot of talks or a lot of, uh, I don't write a lot of blogs or anything like this. Uh, so no, unfortunately there's nothing really in my, uh, in my calendar right now that is worth advertising for. <laughs> okay. But, but you're still looking for engineers for one right? Absolutely. I'm absolutely hiring. So if, uh, <laughs> if there's people interested in that, uh, we're looking for a lot of different things. We're looking for people who would be interested at soft- as software engineers, lead developers, architects, SREs, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of tech, uh, we have a very diverse stack with, uh, from .NET to Python to Go to Haskell to really Node and JavaScript and React. And so, yes, I'm, I'm very open to discussing with anyone about how we do things at Privé and if they would be interested to join us. Uh, that relates to my previous comment, you know, like uh, there, there's no nothing wrong, wrong in taking a chance. Mm-hmm. So. so go for it, listeners. Go for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, where can, can listeners find you? Uh, best way to reach me is on Twitter, uh, at IceCrime. Uh, I'm extremely bad at email and extremely bad at uh, anything else, really. So, yeah, just, yeah Twitter was good. I, I think I, I, I coached you the very first time on, on the best streak of emails ever. Uh, your your uh, response time was something like seconds. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, that's very on, on email or on Twitter. No, that that was on Twitter, right? Was that on Twitter? Okay, it might be, might have been. On uh, but still, it I was, think it was, it was on Twitter. Because honestly, my my response time on email is more like seven months. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm I'm terrible at this. So it must have been on Twitter. I, I just shot you a, a tweet and said, "Well, uh, he'll probably respond respond tomorrow." And yeah. Look at it. Two minutes later, I said, "What? I have three messages already." And I answered, <laughs> and then again, thirty seconds later, "What?" 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Probably, and my, and my DMs, uh, my DMs are always open, so uh, I'm always happy to help anyone, uh, including giving, you know, a career advice, management advice, uh, um, or even helping people, you know, like connect to other people if they're interested to join some company or, or whatever. I, I do this a lot, and I'm happy to do so. Mm -hmm. So. Okay, so at IceCrime, I-C-E-C-R-I-M-E. Uh, exactly. Is there, is there a story behind the, uh, the this? Uh, <clears throat> no, it's just, it's, it's just a pen that works in French and doesn't export well, but okay. I'm stuck with it. So. Uh, okay, <laughs> so you're stuck with it. <laughs> Great. Um, did we forget to speak about something? I don't think so. You don't think so? Yeah. Cool. So um, I guess we're going to cut it there. Arno, thank you very much. All right. It was great talking to you. And thank you for all the advice. Thank you very and, much. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, that was a pleasure. And we'll talk to you all soon right. on Developer's Journey. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Dear listener, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and much more. And if you like what we do, please help your fellow developers discover the podcast by rating it and writing a comment on those platforms. Thanks again, and see you in two weeks.